Hello, my friends, and welcome back to another episode of The Informed Catholic. My name is Ned Jabbar. This is going to be episode 22 of uh, 2021, episode 22 of 2021. So if you like what I do and you think I'm doing a good job and you enjoy this podcast, please subscribe and share to my podcast. It would be a great help and it would help uh, help it to grow. So um, let's begin with an act of contrition. I confess to Almighty God and to you, my brothers and sisters, that I have greatly sinned in my thoughts and in my words and what I have done and what I have failed to do. Through my fault, through my fault, through my most grievous fault. Therefore, I ask Blessed Mary, Ever-Virgin, and all the angels and saints, and you, my brothers and sisters, to pray for me to the Lord our God. May Almighty God have mercy on us and forgive us all our sins and bring us to everlasting life. Amen. Kiri elision, kiri elision, kiri elision. Christe elision, Christe elision, Christe elision. Kiri elision, kiri elision, kiri elision. Glory to God in the highest and on earth, peace to people of goodwill. We praise you, we bless you, we adore you, we glorify you. We give you thanks for your great glory. Lord God, heavenly King, O God, almighty Father, Lord Jesus Christ, only begotten Son. Lord God, Lamb of God, Son of the Father, you take away the sins of the world, have mercy on us. You take away the sins of the world, receive our prayer. You are seated at the right hand of the Father, have mercy on us. For you alone are the Holy One, you alone are the Lord, you alone are the Most High, Jesus Christ, with the Holy Spirit and the glory of God the Father. Amen. Okay, so now uh, I'm going to do the readings for uh, Tuesday. Uh, Tuesday of, um, of Ordinary Time. And we continue uh, with... The book of Hebrews. Now we're going to chapter 6. And this is going to be a long one. Uh, it's really... The book of Hebrews is really, like I said, it's beautiful. I mean, if you really... It's the Christian faith really reaching the height along, I would say, with the writings of John's Gospel um, and the book of Revelation. It's just like so filled with so much. Like it, it it's... Really, it, it, like it says, it's for the mature, like the people mature of faith, like a child who can is ready for solid food. Um, <clears throat> but, you know, you should know your Bible. It's talking to a people who know the scriptures. And the book of Hebrews was written uh, at a time after the burning of the temple. Uh, the Christian community, the Jewish Christian community in Jerusalem um, now, uh, without a temple, uh, they used to worship along with the uh, old covenant Jews, the the um, those who did not accept Jesus as Messiah, as Christ. So the Christian community here is finding itself like now wondering, where do we go from here? You know, they're starting to question because they're sort of like shunned by the other Jews. And they still held on to some customs, some traditions. And because it's different for them than it is, let's say, for Gentile Christians like Greeks and Romans or Egyptians, people who don't come from Jewish background. They don't necessarily have attachment with the old rituals. But the the Jewish Christians, the um, 
Hebrew Christians had attachment to some of the rituals. And it was kind of difficult for them to break away from it. And what they're seeing, they're noticing that the church is becoming more and more Gentile. And the Jewish Christian community is sort of growing smaller and smaller, sort of disappearing. So some might have abandoned the Christian faith and gone back to old covenant Judaism. That's possibly happened in many cases. So it's the, the letter itself is an encouragement. It comes from Italy. It says, you know, you'll see at the end of it, there's greetings from Italy and it mentions Timothy by name. So we have to assume it's St. Paul. The, the, the person himself is, is his name. The, the author is not mentioned but he has obviously a very clear theology and he has a very clear understanding of the old law and what Jesus who Jesus is and this is a theology that has he's thought about it he's uh compared it he's put it together um he's he's on he he knows exactly where Christ fits in in salvation history and what the fulfillment of all of it. I mean, you know, it's just that the only thing you wish is that he would write more. <laughs> you know what I mean? You know, you want to know more. So anyway, let's begin. A reading from the letter of the Hebrews, uh, chapter 6, verse 10 to 20. This hope we have as an anchor sure and, fir- and, fir- and firm. God is not unjust so as to overlook your work and the love you have demonstrated for his name by having served and continuing to serve the holy ones. We earnestly desire each of you to demonstrate the same eagerness for the fulfillment of hope until the end, so that you may not become sluggish, but imitators of those who through faith and patience are inheriting the promise, the promises. When God made the promise to Abraham, since he had no one greater by whom to swear, he swore by himself and said, I will indeed bless you and multiply you. And so after patient waiting, Abraham obtained the promise. Now men swear by someone greater than themselves. For them, an oath serves as a guarantee and puts an end to all arguments. So when God wanted to give the heirs of his promise an even clearer demonstration of immutability of his purpose, he intervened with an oath so that by two immutable things in which it was impossible for God to lie, we have taken refuge, we who have taken refuge might be strongly encouraged to hold fast to the hope that lies before us. This we have as an anchor of the soul, sure and firm, which reaches into the interior behind the veil. When Jesus has entered on our behalf as a forerunner, becoming high priest forever according to the order of Melchizedek. All right, we have Melchizedek again still. All right, so let's go back and read it again. Uh, This hope we have as an anchor, sure and firm. A reading from the letter to the Hebrews. God is not unjust so as to overlook your work 
and the love you have demonstrated for his name by having served and continuing to serve the holy ones. We earnestly desire each of you to demonstrate the same eagerness for the fulfillment of hope until the end, so that you may not become sluggish, but imitators of those who through faith and patience are inheriting the promises. When God made the promise to Abraham, since he had no one greater by whom to swear, he swore by himself and said, I will indeed bless you and multiply you. And so after patient waiting, Abraham obtained the promise. Now men swear by someone greater than themselves. For them, an oath serves as a guarantee and puts an end to all arguments. So when God wanted to give the heirs of his promise an even clearer demonstration of the immutability of his purpose, he intervened with an oath so that by two immutable things in which it was impossible for God to lie, we have taken refuge. We who have taken refuge might be strongly encouraged to hold fast to the hope that lies before us. This we have as an anchor of the soul, sure and firm, which reaches into the interior behind the veil, where Jesus has entered on our behalf as a forerunner by becoming high priest forever according to the order of Melchizedek. It's a lot, I know. So let's, let's see what the, um, what the Holy Spirit is saying. God is not unjust as to overlook your work and that the love you have demonstrated for his name by having served and continue to serve the Holy Ones. The Holy Ones being meaning the members of the church by taking care of the elderly, uh, the weak, the widow, those who have, might have suffered a, an unbelievable misfortune, financial or physical, um, through persecution. And they minister, meaning they take care of them. They bring food, clothing. They, um, um, you know, clean for them. Uh, they provide shelter. The orphans, the orphans of of little of of Christian families, um, though uh, widows who have lost a husband, uh, the kids who have lost their father, or like I said, orphans and elderly, who. Uh, have no one to take care of them. The holy ones, the one they often refer to the to to their fellow believers, to those in their in in their in their community, their religious community. Those things are important. So it's not overlooked and God has not abandoned them. God has not God has not overlooked their misery. And no, it's true. Um not that God is cold hearted, but if he doesn't answer a prayer does that mean he hasn't heard it? No. He has heard our prayers and he will answer it. What is important is, is that he wants us to, to care. Uh, I'm going to use a word I shouldn't use, but I'm going to say it. To give a damn. To get up and do something. Not to sit there and... And not care. If he answers every single prayer. What happens when. 
when miracles, when his, when he, well, let's say miracles just become commonplace and we get used to miracles, we'll start treating God like a vending machine. You put it, you put a dollar fifty in, you, you pick out a, you picked out a candy bar or something or protein bar and it comes out. It's, he's not like that. What did, remember what Jesus said in, in you, you, um, you visited me in prison. You, I was hungry. You fed me. I was naked. You clothed me. I was lonely and you comforted me. Things like that. You know, he, he didn't talk about God just dispensing miracles uh, every single time. No. Much of Christ's his, his teachings is based on unfortunate circumstances. As I said, uh, our, Lord, our Lord's teachings is based on the circumstances of reality. Reality um, because we live in a world where there's a lot of injustice. Um, the miracles are when God performs a miracle is obviously he's trying to say something to us. Right, the parting of the Red Sea, he doesn't. We know he doesn't do that every day, right? <laughs> it's an event that happened in the past, but it's also was meant as a message, as a meaning. Human beings, we could take God for granted if a miracle happened every day, if let's say uh, food multiplied in your refrigerator every single week, where every couple of days, or. Uh, the milk container never runs out of milk or the bottle of wine gets filled up with wine all the time. No, it's, you know, because then we will take God for granted. And that's why, you know, he doesn't do it because he wants us. The actions we do are godly. Uh, Helping sick people, helping poor people are godly actions. They're just, they're for our humanity's sake as much as it is for the person we're showing mercy to. That's why those words, if you look at them, they speak truth. When Jesus said, blessed are the meek, blessed are the, the, those who are persecuted. He's, his teachings are based on reality. Because people do get persecuted. Okay. And then when he says words, like to me, the most impressive part, one of the most, one of the words that stick out to me the most on the Sermon on the Mountain is when he said, the, if those of you who are evil know how to give good things to your children, how much more will your Heavenly Father give to those who call upon him, who, who ask him? That's reality, reality, you know, and I think the problem is, is that we have a habit of separating God from reality where we listen to these bad teachers and say, you know, like you believe in some old man sitting on the clouds of heaven. No, God is real. Whether he looks like an old man or looks like a young man or looks like a dove doesn't really doesn't make a difference. The point is, is that God is real and, and, and suffering is real. 
and he partook. He, the incarnate word became flesh and decided to take part in our suffering, in our limited humanity. He took our limited humanity and he made it divine. He took the human image and made it divine. He took human action, compassion, love, kind words, uh, uh, merciful action, uh, things that we do like holy things, like, like sick, helping the sick, helping the poor, helping the naked, helping, helping the abused, helping those things. Those are godly actions. They're not social justice actions. And this is the thing that a lot of Catholics do. They take suffering and they suffer and they, and they, and they, and they part it. They pull it out of godly, holy actions, merciful action, divine actions, uh, acts of mercy, like the divine mercy where God, you know, we, we hear about these things, those things like taking care of all the unfortunate people, not because they're beggars, but because they're made in the image and likeness of God. We do these things because we do them to Christ. Okay. When we give to, a, uh, when we help people who are starving and suffering victims of war, victims of sexual abuse, victims of elder abuse, uh, homeless, uh, people who are addicted, uh, people who are abandoned, people who, who lost their home, people who were evicted, things like that, or, or, or anything. We are helping other people who could be Christian not lose their faith, and we help to nurture their faith by, by these actions. This is why when he says the holy ones, it's important that we understand that, and we don't take it and make it into a human, a humanitarian action alone. Those things are wonderful. But when they're just secular humanitarian actions, they, they, they deliberately put God out of the picture and put salvation out of the picture, which is what they want. But for a Christian, when we help people, it's for our salvation and their salvation. It's, it's for the sake, we do it for the love of God and we do it for the image of God in them. But we don't, we don't just do it. Uh, yeah, you know what? It is, it is missionary work. It is missionary work. Don't let anybody tell you it's not. You don't impose your faith. You don't force it upon them. You don't start, you don't sit there and start opening your Bible. You can start praying. And invite others to pray. And it may inspire others to pray. The thing is, there's a lot of ways. I mean, look, I'm not good at this part. This part is, is difficult because I'll leave it to a, a priest or someone who can answer that question better. I mean, I, I, I don't do missionary work. But I'm trying to talk about here is not the, um, not removing the divine and the holy. Not removing the presence of God. It's sacramental. What we do is sacramental. And we should, and Jesus said himself, when you do these works, don't look for a reward. Look, don't do it for looking for no, no reward. Do it because you love him and you're not looking for any word. In other words, anyone who does something, even anonymous, is a thousand times beautiful.
is a thousand times fantastic, is a million times fantastic. There's, and, and not expecting anything in return. You're not looking to boast about it. Those things are important too. So let's continue here. We earnestly desire each of you to demonstrate the same eagerness for the fulfillment of hope until the end, so that you may not become sluggish, but imitators of those through faith and patience are inheriting the promises. You see, sluggish means slowly becoming lazy in your faith. These, these actions are important. We have to put your faith, you have to put your faith to practice. Okay. Anything, it doesn't mean just in church. It could mean even in your day-to-day life with your in your workplace, going to work on the subway, coming to home from the subway, um, helping uh, someone upstairs with their groceries, uh, calling a friend if they're lonely, showing love to anybody, any of those things, they're important to our salvation. We should interact, even going to someone in the hospital and reading the Bible to them. Or reading the Bible to uh, an elderly member in the church, or maybe to someone who's illiterate, teaching someone how to read, cooking for somebody, doing the laundry for somebody. Maybe if you can, help someone paying the bills. These things are important. They're important to us. They're important because it helps to keep our faith alive. And you know, and not losing faith and not becoming indifferent. They're important. And like the promises, inheriting the promises. Yeah, it's 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 for the sake of our salvation. We do it for others and we do it for ourselves. We do it so we can we can keep the fire in us burning. All right, let's go to the next one. When God made the promise to Abraham Since he had no one greater by whom to swear, he swore by himself and said, I shall, I will indeed bless you and multiply you. And so after patient waiting, Abraham obtained the promise. Okay, so Abraham, that's another thing. When he made the promise to Abraham, Abraham was naturally impatient because Abraham was old and Sarah was old. And it was a test of their patience, (laughs) right? Because Abraham wondered, how in the world am I going to father a kid? And Sarah is past childbearing years. How is this possible? And eventually it happened. Just like John the Baptist and his parents. In their old age, they they had a boy. They had a beautiful baby boy. And it was fantastic. Everybody talked about it. And everybody did. And then, you know, of course, that's it helped increase their faith and it made God, it showed them that God is real and not just, you know, it proved to Abraham that it's not, it wasn't his imagination and he wasn't going mad. Um, and so, you know, next thing you know, Abraham's descendants became far greater, even through Ishmael. Ishmael, who, who was done by human, you know, who was forced by, by human actions, um, 
many cases, Ishmael, you know, Ishmael definitely was part of the promise because Ishmael multiplied, and he became, you know, uh, the the part of the inheritance. I mean, not like directly through Isaac, but definitely part of it. So let's move on here a little bit. Okay, okay, so after his patience waiting, now men swear by someone greater than themselves. For them, an oath serves as a guarantee and put an end to all arguments. So when God wanted to give the heirs of his promise an even clearer demonstration of the immutability of his prom purpose, <clears throat> he intervened with an oath so that by two immutable things in which it was impossible for God to lie. We have we who have taken refuge might be strongly encouraged to hold fast to the hope that lies before us. All right, so what he's tying what he's tying together here is the promise he made to Abraham, the fact that God swore by himself, and there's no one else greater than God to swear by. And, the pro and he kept his promise to Abraham that he will multiply his descendants as great as the sand of the sea and the stars of the heavens, if you can count them. Now, by the promise he made in Jesus Christ, Jesus promised that we will be with him in paradise, that he will come back one day. He, he went to prepare a place for us and that we... He will come back to receive us into his kingdom. So we have to hold fast to this promise. Um, I watched the other uh, yesterday that series AD that Roma Downey and her husband, they did the Bible series. This was a far better series, far superior than the Bible series and the Son of God movie. And what was fantastic about this one, they did. They dealt with the problem that the early Christians wrestled with. Was Jesus coming back in their day? Now, <clears throat> after all that they witnessed, the miracles, the, res the, the suffering, the resurrection, and then the coming of the Holy Spirit, what happens is, is that everything that was happening in the, and, and also the conversion of Saul and uh, Saul, Paul's conversion was a fantastic event. It shocked them. The reality of Saul's evil, what he did to the Christian community and his conversion was so shocking that they found it hard to believe that someone as evil as him, as this man, and the damage that he did to the Christian community and the families, that all of a sudden he converted. All of a sudden that God converted him. Jesus met him on the road to Damascus, knocked him down of his high horse, took away his sight, and then suddenly um, he was he was baptized and he was and he was received into the Christ, into Jesus Christ. A lot of people found it too hard to believe, impossible <clears throat> to accept. The reality of his evil shocked them so much that they couldn't separate it. They couldn't leave it behind. They, it, 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 you, know, you wondered which was greater, his evil actions or his conversion. It was unbelievable. But the promise, the promise that Jesus made 
sometimes can be forgotten between the two, I think. Sometimes the promise of, of, of his presence, because we can be overwhelmed and shocked by, a, by the scandal of evil, that we're overwhelmed by, by it, that it can overcome the miracles. It can make the, the, the miracles and the presence of Christ so distant and so far away that we, 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 we can't overlook it. The evil is happening today. The evil of abortion, the evil of sodomy, the evil of, 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 of um, political intrigue and, and manipulation can be overwhelming. The evil of this coronavirus and how quickly it's changing our society can be so overwhelming that it makes, it makes the promises seem like a myth, like a fairy tale. Can't let that happen. We can't let that happen. We can't be scandalized by evil. We have to hold fast to the faith. Jesus himself is real. His presence on earth is real. And that's one beautiful thing about that, that AD series, which I'm sorry got canceled. The character Paul became such a radical that it frightened, his faith frightened the apostles. The presence, he, he said it, the words, the actor, I liked how he said it. Jesus Christ is real. His presence on earth is real. And even when someone, uh, a Christian suffered and was flogged, a woman, uh, flogged a woman, there was a part where, you know, obviously it was all from Paul's writings from uh, Corinthians or Galatians. Um, nothing separates us from the love of Christ. You know, even though we we suffer, he has found us worthy to suffer. And, you know, Paul says that his suffering at, um, adds to what the cross of Christ demands. Because we are part, we participate with him. We are co-workers in the salvation. So we fulfill what the incarnation demands, that we make his presence on earth known. And we sanctify everything by, by our good deeds, by, by our faith, by our actions uh, in history, in everyday moments. Remember, there were 30, there were... 18 years of quiet maybe between the age of 12 and and the age of 30 where Jesus worked he you know he he lived with his parents Mary and Joseph he lived in the community he uh, participated in funerals he part participated in family events uh you know sadness joy all those things they're not written so in many ways Fulton Sheen said that's our life we go through life, how many people go through life not known through history? And how many Christians will never know that were saints, that never were recorded, their names forgotten from history? How many people are, are recorded in history? Majority of people in the world are not remembered. We're not Julius Caesar, Napoleon, Adolf Hitler, George Washington, uh, Abraham Lincoln, good and bad, they make their marks in history and they remember. They're giants in history. Even the saints like Augustine, Ambrose, 
you know, uh, Gregory the First, you know, along with all the villains and, 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 and good guys and saints of history, they're recorded, but the rest of us are not. The rest of us will never be remembered. And that's not something to be sad about. The fact is the only one who remembers us and will know that we exist is our Lord. It's God on the throne. Remember, not one uh, flower is overlooked. Not one bird, not even, uh, even the hairs of our heads are numbered. Nothing is overlooked. So that's nothing to be sad about. Let's see. <clears throat> Maybe we have to finish here. There's a lot. Like I told you, this was a long paragraph here. Um, it's Like I said, it's impossible for, to, for, for God to lie. So he, what the promises he made is true. So we are to hold fast to the hope that lies before us. That means the, our salvation, our, our home is in heaven. Our home is in the world to come. Uh, this we have as an anchor of the soul, a sure, fine, and firm, which reaches into the interior behind the veil. The, the veil, there is that one veil that remains. The veil um, that, uh, there's one veil that was ripped, but the final veil is to, is to uh, the sacrament, uh, the bread and wine, which was uh, on, on an altar, a golden altar. And that's the final veil that, that is between us, uh, where through Christ we can reach God, we can reach the Father. Um, where Jesus has entered on our behalf as a forerunner, becoming high priest forever according to the order of Melchizedek. There's that mysterious name, Melchizedek, again. So don't lose hope. Don't lose hope and don't lose faith. All right, let's go to the Psalm. Psalm 111, the Lord will remember his covenant forever. The Lord will remember his covenant forever. The Lord will remember his covenant forever. I will give thanks to the Lord with all my heart in the company and the assembly of the just. Great are the works of the Lord, exquisite in all their delights. The Lord will remember his covenant forever. He has won renown for his wondrous deeds. Gracious and merciful is the Lord. He has given food to those who fear him. He will never he will he will forever be mindful of his covenant. The Lord will remember his covenant forever. He has sent deliverance to his people. He has ratified his covenant forever. Holy and awesome is his name. His praise endures forever. The Lord will remember his covenant forever. Let's go back and look at it one more time. I will give thanks to the Lord with all my heart in the company and the assembly of the just. Great are the works of the Lord, exquisite in all their delights. The Lord will remember his covenant forever. He has run renowned for his wondrous deeds. Gracious and merciful is the Lord. He has given food to those who fear him. He will forever be mindful of his covenant. The Lord will remember his covenant forever. He has sent deliverance to his people. He has ratified his covenant forever. Holy and awesome is his name. His praise endures forever. The Lord will remember his covenant forever. Again, it's to remind us everything that God's covenant. He will remember his covenant forever. His promises and a covenant 
is the word is the same related to the word se, uh, the number seven, and it means it also uh, it means uh, like uh, the Sabbath. It also means covenant, covenant. He will uh, the Sabbath is never to be broken. God will never break it, and so therefore, the new covenant is never is never going to be broken. The, our faith should not be broken. Okay. Now let's go to um, the gospel. Okay. Um, now the antiphon. Hallelujah antiphon. May the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ enlighten the eyes of our hearts that we may know what is the hope that belongs to our call. This is from Ephesians chapter 1, verse 17, 18. May the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ enlighten our, uh, our eyes of our hearts, the eyes of our hearts, that we may know what is the hope that belongs to our call. May, hallelujah, hallelujah. May the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ enlighten the eyes of our hearts, that we may know what is the hope that belongs to our call. Hallelujah, hallelujah. Mark's Gospel chapter 2 verse 23 to 28 the sabbath was made for peep for for man not they put they put the word people here the sabbath was made for man not 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 man for the sabbath they don't have to be politically correct about this a reading from the holy gospel according to saint mark glory to you o lord as jesus was passing through the field of grain on the sabbath his disciples began to make a path while picking the heads of grain. At this, the Pharisees said to him, Look, why are they doing what is unlawful on the Sabbath? He said to them, Have you never read what David did when he was in need and he and his companions were hungry, how he went into the house of God when Abathar was high priest and ate the bread of offering that only the priests could lawfully eat? and shared it with his companions. Then he said to them, The Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. That is why the Son of Man is Lord even of the Sabbath. And one more time. A reading from the Holy Gospel according to St. Mark. As Jesus was passing through a field of grain on the Sabbath, his disciples began to make a path while picking the heads of grain. At this, the Pharisees said to him, Look, why are they doing what is unlawful on the Sabbath? He said to them, Have you never read what David did when he was in need and he and his companions were hungry, how he went to the house of God when Abathar was high priest and ate the bread of offering that only the priests were lawfully to eat? and shared it with his companions. Then he said to them, The Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. That is why the Son of Man is Lord even of the Sabbath. The Gospel of the Lord. Praise to you, Lord Jesus Christ. Now, this is an interesting scene, right? So Jesus and the apostles are walking through the field of grain. Now, how often Jesus had used the field of grain, the harvest, and uh, how the Son of Man, like the the um, the souls are like the harvest people, and then the apostles uh, they're walking with him, and it's the Sabbath, and 
the apostles are walking with him and they're taking little bits of grain. And what they do is they rub it together, right? And they like, it splits open and they can eat the carnal. The Pharisees happen to be like us. They're hounding him, right? They're coming. I mean, I don't know what they're doing. They're hounding him. I don't know if they're hiding behind the grain trees or something and, and waiting to like find some fault. And then they, they, they attack and say, why are your disciples doing what's unlawful on the Sabbath? So they consider like picking the grain, the, the, the grain, the corn, the, the, the grain heads and rubbing them together. That to them is like work. So they're nitpicking at every little details they're doing. You know, they're like nothing satisfies them or only when they find fault that satisfies them. And, you know, like little kids do it. I mean, I remember as a kid, because when I lived in the Middle East, uh, in the Holy Land, I remember there was a field and I've seen the other kids do it. And my grandfather showed me or my grandmother rub it really, really, you know, like the heat or something and it pops open and then you can eat the carnal in it. And, you know, it was sort of like a childlike thing. The truth is they're doing a childlike thing, really. But it's, it's, it's nothing. I don't think it's a big deal. It's obviously to them, it's a big deal. And Jesus rebukes them. And, and what happens is he said to them, have you never, don't you remember the part in the scriptures where David and his men were in need and he went to the high priest and the high and he wanted some food and some bread. And I remember the story. The high priest said to him, uh, I have some bread of the offering. I can offer that to you and your men, but I could only give it to you and your men if you and your men have been pure. In other words, you have not uh, committed any sin or laid with a woman. So you could ask, you know, in other words, you didn't have sexual intercourse. That's basically it. I mean, the term is not attack against women. It means that you men have not had sexual intercourse. And he said, neither me or my men have have uh, have had sexual intercourse with any woman. So he gives them the bread. It's usually because there's a lot of priests. And so he gives them some of the bread. The men eat it. They eat that. that that's that was their food. And it's kind of like. It's a prefiguration of the Eucharist in the Old Testament setting. And what happened was he's saying to them, the Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. Therefore, you know that the Son of Man is Lord of the Sabbath. In other words, it's there's a sacramental reading to this uh, in a sense that Jesus is... Jesus is the Sabbath. Jesus, the Son of Man is Lord of the Sabbath. It doesn't mean like you, you are a slave. They're, they're, what they're doing is that they're making people subordinate to, um, to the Sabbath day. They're making them slaves to the Sabbath day. I mean, Jesus used a lot of other, other examples where they, that they've, they, made, they made the religion a burden in a sense, that they took away the intimacy with God. Um, have you never read what David did when he was in need? He and his companions were hungry. How he went to the house of God when Abathar was high priest and ate the bread of offering that only the priest could lawfully eat and shared it with his companions. Then he said to them, The Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. That is why the Son of Man is Lord even of the Sabbath. 
That's, in other words, God is Lord of the Sabbath, and therefore Jesus himself is Lord of the Sabbath because he and the Father are one and the same. And the picture where the priest, the high priest who gave them the bread was a type picture of Christ feeding David and his men, giving them the bread, giving them the bread of the presence. In other words, nothing. what, what the priest did was far more holy than, than most people realize. He showed mercy. He showed mercy to David and to his men. And then therefore Jesus' presence was also is also an act of mercy because Jesus is walking through the field and the apostles are it's a it's a it's an actually an apocalyptic image of the of the second coming where they're they're harvesting the apostles plugging the corn and rubbing them together is like getting the fruit the fruit or getting the the grain um of faith um so you know sort of like putting um giving giving spiritual energy by their by them rubbing their hands together they're sort of like uh it's like a harvest in a sense and there Jesus is going through the grain fields is a is an apocalyptic image of faith he's going through the grain fields, walking among his people, walking among the believers. It's, you know, he's, you know, he's among the believers. Like I said, he's in our daily lives. There's no real harvest, really. The apostles are just simply, they're acting as ministers. They're rubbing the people together, sort of like, like uh, putting, you know, rubbing faith into the people. That's what basically it means, so that they can produce more grain. They can produce more of um, um, bread, more harvest. That's what basically what they're doing. And Jesus himself is like visiting his people. Uh, Jesus and the apostles of the church and the field, the grain field is all of us. It's the, all the believers in the world. So he's walking through the world. He's visiting all his believers in all four corners of the world that's it's like in the ocean and the pharisees are basically just wolves in sheep's clothing all they can do is point to a fault and this is all they can do all right so <clears throat> it's it's you know there's a lot there's a lot we can gain out of it and i hope i i hope i'm doing enough i hope i'm doing a good job um you know what? It would be nice if you go to my Facebook page, uh, The Informed Catholic, and you can leave a comment. It would be nice if you can. That would be a great help. That would sort of like encourage me if you can do it. It would be a great job. Um, you know, suggestions would be great. It would be great. Uh, criticisms would be fine as long as you don't do any name calling or anything like that, please. Um, but it would be great. So if you can go and... Um, uh, join on my Facebook page, The Informed Catholic. I would appreciate it. So let's end it with an Our Father, okay? And um, we'll be back together again soon. In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. 
Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, the power, and the glory, now and forever. Amen. Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou among women, and blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Holy Mary, Mother of God, pray for us sinners, now at the hour of our death. Amen. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. God bless, and we'll be back together again soon. Amen.